Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode number 60, recorded on September 13th, 2023. Adam Tank is the co-founder of a company called Transcend, which describes itself as a generative design platform that is transforming the critical infrastructure industry, which sounds awfully complicated and important. We'll get the whole story about Adam, the company, and what they're doing after we check in with Grant and his own brand of tech news. All right, Grant, it's been a while since you've entertained us with some tech news, so what do you got? Okay. Uh, thanks, Alan. And um, well, I mean, I'm learning more and more that when I announce stuff, you actually know about it because you do more reading than I thought. So you probably <laughs> know some of the stuff. And it's getting harder because I'm trying to stay away from AI and chatbot because it's I'm getting so tired hard of because it. Okay? It's, yeah, it's everywhere. And Every so it's day obliterating there's... the news. Um, I know. There's got to be more going on. There is. So, um, I, things you like, well, I'm doing as well. So I tried to pinpoint some things that I knew you would like, okay? Um, so the first thing is you might know about um, the Dawn Avatar Robot Cafe in Japan. The Dawn Avatar, no. What is this? Oh, okay. You would love this. So it's a cafe. That's the name of it. And it is all that's inside of it, seriously, are robots. Waiters. Bartending staff, delivery, everything is robots. That sounds so Japan that it, my, my head hurts. I know. Get this, though. What I love about this is it is being, it is being controlled by people with medical or physical limitations from home. Oh. Yes. They control the bots. They actually go. So, for example, let me give you an example, Alan. My bot delivers you the food. And these aren't bots with little trays. They have arms. They're robots. They're they're humanoids. And so they deliver it to you. And get this. They pick up your conversation. And the people at home are are doing that conversation, not a chat bot. So you're not taking away employment by replacing human beings with automation. You're actually giving people who don't have employment an opportunity right. to make and, a and living. In all fairness, and they don't probably get paid a lot, but that doesn't matter because they're at home with physical limitations and they now are reimbursed into the workforce. But the the cost, the, the real big cost in the restaurant is gone. Um, and not to mention, I think it's pretty cool, Alan. Well, hence, <laughs> hence the name Robot Avatar. Cafe. I, yes. you know, I like this. I would have, I did not see that coming. No, no. And you know what? I, um, you know, I, I think I lucked out. I just fell onto it and I started reading and trying to delve into it. Cause a lot of people would just read this and go onward and not read it. And then when I saw the thing about the society is being people who want to stay in the connect into society. Um, that's fantastic. And they control the bots, which there's, okay, I'll tell you how many people take pl- shifts throughout um, different points throughout the week. They have 70 people. That's a hell of a payroll and headcount. 
I don't know about that. Living at home, you know, and 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 if it, because they do it in a part-time segments, think of it. It kind of makes total sense. And then, of course, the big thing there, if you look it up, you can look it up. It's a tour spot. These are shiny white robots that whiz around, and it's really, really something. And like you said, Alan, you're not surprised. This is Japan. Forget all this other stuff. Japan still is the inventor, okay? And I, I just think that it's something you would love, and that's why I uh, want to introduce it today. What's the name of the place again? It's called Don, D-A-W-N, Avatar Robot Cafe. All right. Excellent. It's really something, okay? Re- yeah, really cool. Okay, next. Remember, it's a human speaking to you through the robots, not a robot. Interesting. Okay, next. Okay. Well, um, yeah, uh, this is kind of interesting. And you may know this, and um, they have now come out, the uh, scientists in the Journal of Urology have come out with a technology to uh, treat kidney stones. Dad, this is me. This is me. (laughs) I know. Alan, I try to take care of you, okay? Tell me about this. Please tell me about this. How can I? Uh, um, They use handheld transducers, and they place them on the skin, and the ultrasound waves towards the stone and it shrinks the stone. Okay, so this is different than what they've already got. This is, a, there's a type oh, of- Oh, no, it's nothing No, close, nothing. And, and I'll tell you why this is important. You know, because I have terrible kidney stones. I've had 11 surgeries. I know you for do. Them. Terrible, I know terrible, you do. terrible. So one of the reasons this technology is being developed is because if you're going to have human beings on a seven or eight month trip to Mars- and somebody <laughs> comes down with a kidney stone, it's not going to necessarily pass the way it would on You're Earth. You're done. Yes, it's shitty. There's, yeah, I get it. There's no gravity in space, so it can't. But think of this. No pain or minimum, and no anesthesia. Yeah, and it can be done in the emergency room. Yeah, you don't need anything. You don't need anesthesia. Nope. No sooner or later, they're going to do it at home with you, Al. They, they will take an ultrasound. They'll find out the exact yes. position of the stone. They'll take this little hand. And then it just treats it. They, yep. And I thought you'd like that, and I will send you the link on it. But um, again, I was reading this going, oh, my God. I mean, I got to tell Alan because – and thousands and tens of thousands of people. So, um, again, I just thought it was pretty amazing. Um, I want this thing for my house. I'll I'll put it next to my bed. I think think I'm two for two today. You are. Okay. Can you make it three for three? Okay. Now, I might screw up this time, but that's okay. Okay. the newest thing I like, because it's my world, um, is a California-based company called Skidio has developed drone drones that fly at high speeds um, as far as 800 feet away. And what they do is they're the ones that do all the high-speed chases for cars that are now being done by police cars. And they would be basically the eyes that go around and, 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 and do these things that right now is very unsafe. Um, so they're part of the basic infrastructure, and one of their, their biggest ones they're doing first is they're going to essentially be able to chase down cars because they can go 40, 50 miles an hour at 800 feet away, get the plate and say where they're going, send the police where to go. Um, and so their claim to fame right now is, is for that area. Of course, you've got already the civil liberties unions fighting it. But they don't understand. It makes it so much safer. Um, well, if you've ever people. watched, if you've ever watched LA TV, if there's a high speed police chase, it's always there. They cut in to whatever programming is happening 
so they can have a, the news helicopter above where news helicopters, plural, above the chase. And you see exactly how dangerous it is when somebody's trying it's to get bad. away from a black and white, right? So if you have a tiny drone that no one can see, you may be yeah. completely unaware that you're being tailed. And as the yeah. bad guy, you'll have less of an opportunity to do dangerous things for people and property. Yeah. And, and, and you have to get FAA approval because it's line of sight, right? And right. so, but they're doing that. And um, they're making clearances with retail companies like Walmart as well uh, for shipping and so on. Obviously, the easy ones. And I didn't really care about that. I get it. But the high-speed chase, the safety of these little drones, um, and remember, they can read the plates, hmm. okay? Um, it changes the whole world. Um, and I'm tired of seeing these chases where people get injured, and you don't need it. You simply don't need it. You can sit back now and say, they're coming at you, okay? Set up, get ready. This is a, this is a three-dimensional, three-axis Yes. Uh, yeah. Type of surveillance. So you can go up, you can down, you can go around the corner, you know, whatever. So, um, and, and if somebody pulls off into an alley and then hides into a garage, well, you got them. Yeah. And by the way, it's 5G. So you could actually link up with other networks as it travels. You just said something interesting. You said it pulls off into an alley. Well, guess what? What if there's another alley system? It'll link up to that alley system and now it's being deployed there. Huh. And it's almost like a, you know, it's almost like a, I don't know, onboard um, control system that can be switched around throughout. It's called the X-10, by the way, and it can de be deployed in less than 40 seconds by an on-scene patrol officer. So he walks up, the guy takes off, bang, hits it, off goes the drone. <laughs> and the cops sit in the car, have a coffee and a yes, donut, just yes. wait for the... Yeah, I love it. Hey, hey, I'll, you know, look, we got enough problems right now with the cops have to deal with in my viewpoint, and this just supports what they need. So that's my final third one, Alan. Um, and that's, uh, that's the news today. Civilization is based on infrastructure. You can't have a city, a town, or a modern society without it. Infrastructure projects aren't always sexy, but they're important. They're complex, they're expensive, and they're essential. Transcend is a multinational software company operating in 65 countries that deals with the intricacies of critical infrastructure, its design. To talk about what they do, we got in touch with Adam Tank, one of the company's co-founders. All right, Adam, let's let's talk about Transcend. Uh, this is a company that's not that old, so let's talk about its history and, and what you guys actually do. Sure. So the the genesis behind Transcend was that my co-founder and I firmly believe that the world's infrastructure, critical infrastructure specifically, water, wastewater, power, roads, etc is broken. So what already exists is typically breaking or already broken and poorly maintained. And the stuff that we're building today is not meant to last for 50 or 100 or 150 or 200 years. We keep building the same stuff we have been forever and ever and ever. And what we are trying to do at Transcend is change the paradigm from an operations and maintenance type society and a reactive society when it comes to infrastructure and be more proactive about the things that we design and build. So we set ourselves up for success when we're spending our capital dollars. Let's talk about existing infrastructure. I mean, 
a lot of water and sewer mains in major cities have been there using lead pipes or or cast iron pipes or wooden 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 pipes no yes they are still wood pipes being pulled out of the ground well these things have been around for 7500 150 years even longer in in some particular cases they have a lifespan but you know a city or a town has grown up over top of this infrastructure and nobody even gives it a second thought what's down there and what's right. happening to it right and you're, you're exactly right. And you're in a mission to to what Re- replace that, and then make sure that what we install going forward lasts. Well, well, well Adam. So, are you combina- Are you a combination of some type of edge hardware and software? Are you primarily the data and software? Uh, where's the strength in what you're doing? So our 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 take is a little different, and our angle's a bit different. I've been in the hardware, the pure hardware side of things before. I've been in the pure software and digital side. I've been in the combination of both of those. So I had a robotics company that fixed ah. potable water pipelines. I worked as a smart I city director that, yeah. at Suez, North America in, in a past life. And now at Transcend, our angle really is working with the people who not only finance this infrastructure, but are responsible for designing and building it by providing them a software tool, so pure software play, that that enables them to do the design of these assets much faster than they would have before. And, uh, okay, so you're like a consultant that provides them with um, tools to fix their problems. We sell software, correct, that enables them to do whatever it is they choose to do with the software. But in many cases, it's design faster, do more design work in the same amount of hours, provide more value to their, their clients, et cetera. So it's, yeah. it's like an AutoCAD for critical infrastructure. You nailed it. Automated AutoCAD for critical infrastructure. Okay. Who are your clients? Are your, your clients would be, I would imagine, city government? We sell to utilities. It's three-pronged. And really, the revenue split is about equal across these three. So we sell direct to the city utilities or, or governments, the ones that, at, that finance and own these assets. We sell to the engineering firms who do the design work on behalf of these asset owners. And we also sell to the equipment suppliers that sell their stuff into the asset. So in the case of a water or wastewater uh, project, this might be someone that provides a pump in the network somewhere. So all three of those players we sell to. I find this topic really, really fascinating because uh, north of where I'm living, uh, there is a, a massive urban development uh, and they're currently putting in all the services. And uh, I, I go for a run or a walk through this area and I see what they're doing. And most of it's still concrete pipes uh, and some sort of uh, some plastic. PVC. Where are we going? You know, is that state of the art now? Is that where we're going or what's going on? It is not state of the art. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would venture to guess that the stuff that they're putting into the ground or building on top of it is the same stuff that they've been using for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. So Adam, why is that? Like, you know, I know the, I mean, we're involved in those developments. Okay. Sure. My point is sure. not that part, obviously they promote ecosystem, green, um, high tech, special design, but it sounds like that's not really correct. It's, there are some, there are some sparks of hope in the pan. <laughs> But by and large, it's not a fire by any means at this point. The, the reason I fundamentally believe, the reason that we are unable to effectively 
assess new innovations and technologies for developments like the ones you're talking about is because the people who design them, in most cases, it's the engineers. So these are engineering firms. Are They have a billable hour-based model. So they have to allot a certain amount of hours to do the design work for these developments. And there's no incentive for them to use up those hours looking at things that are new or innovative or may not work because the last thing they want to do is be on the hook for this thing that they build that either is inefficient, right, or doesn't work properly or never gets used, which really is the worst of all of those outcomes. So what we, what, why we believe we have sort of the silver bullet for this is because let's say it takes a hundred hours to design this rain garden that's being put in this eco, this eco development that you're speaking about hundred hours. That's an unbelievably low estimate. Traditionally, the engineering consulting firm is going to say, all right, what have we done in the past or what have others done that kind of look like this? We're going to take the same designs off the shelf. We're going to put a little bit of different flavor on it and we're going to stamp it. And those are going to be our hundred hours that we're going to build to the city or the developer that's doing this. Using our software, they can do that assessment of what is, what's already in existence, what's proven, what works with 10 hours because we've automated that process of design. And they can use the other 90 hours to look at new innovations, to do options assessments, to look at different locations, locations to put this new asset, different sizes of the asset different ways of configuring it, bringing, having meetings with more of the community stakeholders to understand their needs and desires. There's so many more things you can do in that same amount of time if you're automating the boring, repetitive stuff. Why wouldn't they be doing that? It makes total sense to me. I mean, I guess you <laughs> no, but, but there are two ways you can look at that. You know, I've done a lot of companies and had to, had to fight a lot of guys to do stuff. But I mean, you have two ways of this. I'm an owner. I'm a developer. And I want the best. So I go to one of my engineering firms. I won't name anyone, so don't pick on anyone. And we say, hey, engineering firm, I want to use these guys because I want to know all the things I can do. And then engineering firm says, okay, we'll use them. Okay, you want to. Or, or obviously, you go to the engineering firm and say, hey, I got this great tool for you. I want to do a presentation to your group. I think it's really going to help you, blah, blah, blah. I would assume... I mean, they're different. I'm talking about private development, but I don't think it changes. Um, those are the opportunities. Those are the two people, the stakeholders who you have to convince. You're correct. And what we have found is that when we can convince the developer of the value, the engineering firm has to follow suit. Agreed. So one of the biggest challenges that we've seen working with engineering consultants is to their credit, they are on the hook for, they are the ones stamping the design at the end of the day. They're the one that's taking on the risk. Obviously it's, it's underwritten, but still they're taking on the risk from a professional indemnity point of view. They are so much more comfortable with this Excel spreadsheets they've built in house yeah. with their own sets of tools that they've been using for 20, 30, 40 years. So when we come in and we say, Hey, look, we've fully automated this design process for you at a conceptual level. The first, the first reaction we get is, one, I don't believe you. I don't believe software can do this. The second one is once they've tried it, they go, oh, my God, what's going to happen to my job? Yeah, we see that in all the tech, and, and I get that. And that's why this has to go to such a high level because it's got to be the guy that's not worried about his job. And, oh, <laughs> guys, I mean, I'm, I, I'm telling you. And so you get it to the right guys at that level. And then the other side is, um, and Alan knows this, we've had a lot of people on our show. Um, 
They have, even the ones that are good, they've now branched out and they have their own little tech and, and uh, divisions. They're supposed to go out and find this stuff. And mm-hmm. as long as they endorse it in, you're it. Sure. Okay. Sure. Because um, it makes, like, for me, this is a no brainer. Wouldn't you say, Alan? I mean, I would want this if I was building a building. Well, yeah, if it's my money that's paying for everything, I want the greatest efficiencies and synergies that I can possibly get for my buck. Plus, I want low maintenance costs and I want infrastructure that's going to last a very long time so I'm not burdened with maintenance issues and possibly lawsuits down the road when something breaks and, and no longer works. So, Adam, um, obviously you've written, uh, you've developed, sorry, this software. Um and it's designed to do the best designs. Um, I guess I always have to ask that because we have no choice. Um, does AI play into your program? Because, I mean, the buzzword uh, in the world right. is AI. And so we have to ask that. And then when I say AI, I mean, there's not, it's not all positive, even though I'm an AI guy. But I, I agree that <laughs> it could lead to a bad design. It could lead to the buildings are going to fall apart. Um I doubt it, but you get my point. Where does AI yes. play into, if I come out and say, listen, I'm talking to Adam, but you know, I got to know how are we dealing with AI? What are you, what can you offer me? What can't you offer me? What are the problems you face? So AI is used in a very specific part of our application. And we believe that AI is great for solving problems that computers are good at solving not great at solving problems that humans fundamentally can solve. So problems that involve creativity, innovation, outside the box thinking, talking with, with stakeholders in the various divisions. That stuff AI, I don't see ever replacing realistically. So for us, where AI comes in is that, let's, let's talk about, so tell me about a bit about these projects you develop or have developed historically. Give me a simple example of, well, of one of them. We're in about 60 developments right now. And they range anywhere from a 30-story building to a full community like Brightwater, which is seven. It's going to have 5,000 people living there. Nine. It's the biggest development in the country. Um, so you're into all types of construction and developments. Now, of course, in the, that case, sir, Adam, you've got multiple um, stakeholders. Might have three development companies, you know what I mean, as a group. So you have a consortium to deal with, which even makes it tougher. Uh, sure. And so, yeah, so you could go from the one development, which is still big, it's a $50 million development probably, up to these great big, well, what we call planned communities or master communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that so let's take the, the, the planned community example. Yeah. yeah. If, if someone were to, in our software, if someone were to input, this is not a capability we have today, by the way, so I want to hear no, it I'm not pretending okay. like this exists. So there's a set of rules and decisions and calculations that engineers make when it comes to designing the, bu- so designing the buildings that should be fit for purpose for what you're trying to achieve. So let's assume that you're trying to have a thousand people live in this many acres of a particular region. There's going to be so many considerations to make. So how many buildings, how tall should they be? Uh, you know, what's the floor plan of these various buildings? Um, what are all the assets that need to go into those? Not only in terms of what makes them livable, but things like HVAC and the, uh, the architecture of them and all those types of things. So in our tool, in our platform, we have set up 
the calculations to automate those decisions. So if you were to say, I want a thousand people living and you can literally mark it on a map in this square radius, I roughly know how many buildings I want. I know that I want an ER, like a a little uh, critical care center. I know that I want a a restaurant. I know that I want this or that, whatever. The software will will then select and size appropriately all the required buildings to meet those needs. Where artificial intelligence comes in is that when it's actually laying out all those buildings on the site, the software uses some really cool algorithms to figure out the optimal arrangement of those buildings. So that's where our software specifically uses artificial intelligence. And ideally, Grant, at the beginning of this project, your engineer or your consultant should come to you and say, we've assessed 1,500 potential layouts of these buildings on the site. They absolutely should. Using AI. And here's our recommendation. Here's a recommendation based on maintenance, on CapEx, OpEx, energy consumption, carbon footprint, whatever it is that you're interested in. Here's what we recommend, but we've done all the diligence. Today, they may only look at three or four or five options because they just don't have the time and resources to do it otherwise. Do you take into account zoning? You bet. Okay, that's that's yep. interesting. That's very interesting. Um, and the and and so you have this uh, this whole program now. Is it scalable? And I ask that because you said something interesting. Joe Blow, who is a guy who supplies pumps, he's going to have the software now. He may not need this master software. He may need an application that makes like it makes sense that everyone should have it. So, is it a scalable model that's monthly? You buy it, you maintain it. What do you do? Yep. So it's a, we sell it as a service. So we maintain it. It is a service to you. It's hosted in the cloud. So anyone can log in from anywhere in the world and run designs for entire sites and entire footprints, all the way down to that little specific thing that a pump guy might be selling, like a pump station as an example. So they need to do the design for a pump station. Our software can do that. It can also design the network. It can design the buildings. It can design the site. Basically, as big or small as you want it to go. Now, infrastructure projects tend not to be very sexy <laughs> because <laughs> it's these are things that are you know buried in the ground or they're supposed to be out of sight, and you don't think about them unless they stop working. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that you have uncovered with your software that has helped with maintenance and longevity. What sorts of things can you recommend so that we don't have as many water main breaks in 50 years from now, let's say? Great, great question. So I'll talk specifically about water and wastewater because it's it's largely my background, 15 years in the water wastewater industry. It's where our software got its start. We've since expanded into other verticals like power. We actually designed COVID testing facilities at the very early onset of the pandemic, which was interesting. But in water wastewater specifically, there's two ways you can look at this, the, uh, a, let's call it a water treatment and distribution challenge. One is in the network, meaning the pipes that are underground. So that could be either clean water pipes or it could be sewage pipes that are collecting gross water, our, our human wastewater or industrial wastewater or stormwater. That's one set. Then you have the treatment infrastructure which is the other set. In our industry, we call it inside and outside the fence. Inside the fence means the stuff that treats that water. Outside the fence is the stuff that distributes and collects the water wastewater. 
So as you alluded to, Alan, we have a big challenge in the U.S. specifically around leaking water infrastructure. The going stat, at least when I was really deep into it five years ago, was 30% of all the water that's treated for human consumption is lost in the network. What, what, just through... Just through leaks and, and mis- through, yeah, through leaks, through inaccurate metering, through um, all sorts, all sorts of stuff. Ah, yes, but it's, it's high. It's high. It's very high. It's very high. So actually, I mean, and you'll, you'll see if we were to do a Google search right now for water main break, you're going to find probably 15 or 20 different articles in the last 24 hours. I just saw one today in San Francisco. There's a huge sinkhole right in the middle of the city because there was a giant water main break. So to answer your question, Alan. If we think about what it's going to take to a lower cost of of operations and maintenance over the longevity of these assets, and we think about those pipes in particular that are in the infrastructure, one of the ways we can do that is by reducing the amount of pressure that's put on those mains throughout the system. And one way to reduce the pressure on those mains is to, in real time, be able to allocate where water needs to be and where it needs to go. So in the case of, let's say a city like San Francisco, you may know that in the morning and in the evening when people go home or people go to work and when they come home that they're all gonna be using the toilet and they're all gonna be cooking, so they're all gonna be using water. You can effectively prime the pump to be ready to go for those events. Otherwise, the pump can be shut off and we can reduce the amount of pressure in those mains for the rest of the day when we know that water is not going to be as used uh, and, and, and as great a volume. So when we go to design this infrastructure, that's what we should be con- taking into consideration. If we're going to build a new distribution system for, water, for, for clean water, we should be thinking about where should these pumps be placed? What types of pumps should they be? Should we consider different types of pipe, depending on where in the system the pipes are, ones that, are, that we know we're going to see more pressure or not? We should look at the hydraulics of these systems. Where should we put these pipes based on the pressures? Can we feed them by gravity? Do we have to pump it uphill, downhill, et cetera? An, unbelievably, an unbelievable amount of variables that we can take into consideration. But if you can automate some of that planning process, then you have the time to assess all of these variables. Otherwise, you're going to put the pipes where they typically always go, and you're going to deal with water main breaks like we have been for the last 100 years. Yeah, you're going to, they're going to be under the streets, or they're going to be under the boulevards, and they're going to be down below the frost line, and uh, eventually something will go wrong. There will be a crack um, just through normal expansion contraction, and, and it's going to blow up, blow up on you. How about the stuff like we've had you know, all these fires, we've had all these floods, we have these hurricanes, we have, well, we have everything. It's nightmarish time right now. <laughs> So I would assume that this system would be allowed itself to be built to uh, to respond to those things as best, much better than we do today. Certainly, yeah. You would, you would, you would, be, you would like to be able to design the proactive measures to anticipate these things happening and bake them into the plan from day and one. And then your AI will play a big part of that, which is uh, which is good. You said something, uh, I got to ask this question. So first of all, great idea. It makes total sense. I just built a house. Now, uh, I'm not living in it now, so not like I can use it. Anyway, probably can't use it now, but I never knew any of this stuff. Um, truthfully, I had problems um, in my property. Um, nothing major, but little things. Um, 
there's even a case where, you know, not in this case, but there's properties may I wouldn't have bought and would not have mm-hmm. if I knew what was in the ground and what was around it and the cost to develop it. Because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, flood zones, you have others that the owner doesn't tell you about, it's not publicized, you could be in big trouble. But my point is, when I when we talk scalable, is this going to happen? Are people going to use it for homes, like individual homes? Certainly could. Ah. So uh, a home is a system of systems. A home is a, is a product of the environment, so the land that it sits on top of and the land that surrounds it, as well as the individual components of the home. So you have your floors, walls, ceilings, uh, all your plumbing, your electric, your, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really, for a computer at least, it's actually a pretty easy set of challenges to, to think through and solve for. So if you were to say, Grant, here's my plot of land. We know the topography and the terrain based on existing mapping data. We can, we can pull all of the data around floodplain, around zoning, around whatever other requirements that the city might have. And then you tell the software, I want to I look at a home that needs, that's going to have six people living in it, that's going to be two stories, and that needs to have whatever, 80% natural light, what, whatever variables you want to put in, and you press go, and the software will kick it out instantly. Bang. No way I did any of that. I, didn't, I don't think my builder did any of that study. <laughs> in fact, I remember, when I, I remember when I came here, when I looked at the property, I came back, I said, how come you got those big holes, as a, holes coming out of the property now? Oh, that's for drainage. What drainage? Oh, when it rains, it floods. Really? So I great. Good to know. But I had already bought it, by the way. But my point is, I think that's common, right? It happened happened to me. Happened to me because when they did the final grade for uh, our neighborhood, they buggered it up something fierce, and all this water was pooling in in these areas in our backyards. There was one day that a couple of us went out in our backyards. And what was supposed to be a place where kids could play, we had ducks. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I like ducks as much as the next person, but in that particular no, spot, we should have had either you know a French drain or a, a, a direct connection to the sewer or something because the way the final grade worked, it didn't. Okay, another question. Um, I have um, a subdivision. Subdivision is divided up amongst multiple developers. How do you get them to coordinate? We have that now. That's the community, planning community. There are multiple developers. So how do you get all the developers who have different ideas, probably different budgets and different price points for the properties that they're selling? How do you get them all on board? So it's it's interesting. Um, And I'm thinking about this from a, a, a water utility point of view because a similar thing happens when you're building a wastewater treatment plant. Utility or asset owner, consider them to the, de- the developer in this case, the person financing this asset, says, this is the thing that I want to build. I may or may not have a rough idea of what it should look like, but now I'm going to hire a series of engineering firms to look at what this thing might look like when it's all said and done. And all these engineers, in your case, developers, are expected to work well with one another to take the conceptual design to the preliminary design to the detailed design to the final design and then you bring in the constructors right and it's all supposed to work out all hunky dory and everyone is supposed to get along and sing kumbaya of course in reality we know that that's not what happens 
So in our world, what we end up doing and why our software is, is compelling in this environment is that you either have the asset owner. So in, you, in, in your case, you guys, the person financing this development, you have a single source of truth, which is our software that all of the developers have to use in order to do their planning work. So all of the plans that they're creating are visible to you at every step of the process. And you can effectively manage it because you see the outcomes that they're generating literally in real time as they're doing it. So in theory, though, in theory, uh, Alan, I'm going to try to, 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 to think this through here because um, I don't get involved in at this level. But um, you have three great, you know, good property developers. Um, they accept this program in the initial planning stage, not down the road. Correct. Once they've accepted, they're using it. But I assume, Adam, I'm quality A. Unfortunately, my third developer is quality B. He can, at the building level, not do the same things I'm doing at the other buildings. He could. It's true. In theory. Because I'm not going to spend money, so I'm going to plan it differently. And I'm not going to do all this special stuff that Adam's software says you should do. Well, not should. We recommend it. But they could actually take a different right-hand turn when it gets to the point of where it enters into their building or their land. Certainly could. I mean, now, but I have a bigger one. This, okay, I'm going to say, this is the easy stuff. How do you do a city? I love it. I love it. Um, so right now we are working with a Saudi Arabian company who is building the city of the future. Is this the line? This is the line. Yes, and we're involved as well. Our partners, Parsons is managing yes. us as our partners. Yes, yeah. wonderful. So those folks working on the master plan for what this thing will look like are actively using our software to design the wastewater treatment systems. Good work, Adam. For the line. Good work. Now, they could also be using our software to do the substation design if they wanted to, because our tool will do automated substation design. We have not yet expanded to all those other things we're talking about relative to critical infrastructure. So I would love it. And, and it, it is my vision that one day we will do roads. We will do hospitals. We will do multi-residential. We will do telecommunications. We don't do that today. How do you handle um, a city that's developed? Um, so it's obviously going to have a mix of infrastructure. It's going to have some legacy, but, you know, it's going to be stacked. How do you walk into a city and where would your software help them? Assuming they're not doing any, a lot of future development, they're always going to do development, but they're a stage of now keeping up with technology and growing their legacy system they have within the underground of the city. So the, one of the most requested features in our software about two years into this journey was the ability to utilize existing assets as part of your future plan. So we enabled features that will allow users to mark assets on a site and provide detail around those assets. So when the computer generates the remainder or the gap from what exists today and what should exist in the future, it takes those existing assets into consideration. That, that's important because cities don't necessarily are easier to develop as you know, the, the, the private business person. Right, um, right. More 
infrastructure bureaucracy, spending limits, you know it all. You bet. You bet. I mean, but what's cool too about it, Grant, is that, you know, our software, you may use this and run a couple of designs and, 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 and hypothesize about what if, you know, what if we shouldn't be using this legacy infrastructure? Maybe we should just demolish it and build new because there are so many innovations in technology that it's worth it to destroy what already exists and build new. That is an option you can assess if you have the type of technology like we do. But today, you know, most people aren't because, well, of course, it's got to be cheap. It's got to be cheaper to use what we've already built, right? And just retrofit it or expand what we already have. That might not be true. That's going to be this, the, how they respond usually. Yep. Before we, we wrap up here, I just want to, uh, people who don't know what the line is, it is a 16-story building across the Saudi Arabian desert that will extend for 75 miles. <laughs> a 16-story building, six, 75 miles. Employ over 450,000 people to build it. I don't think a lot of people believe it, okay? And by no, the way, it, there's a lot of pessimism um, on the line. Because they're saying, you know, first of all, what are you doing? Who's going to do this? But, you know, it's Saudi Arabia. When you can do whatever you want, you, um, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> That's right. Unlimited money, unlimited land. There's a, a lot you can do for sure. I mean, this software, um, you know, I don't know the scalability and the pricing structures. And I'm sure I'm going to learn that, Adam. Um, I'm talking uh, <laughs> guest speaker at the... Uh, a realty conference in Ottawa uh, next in next March, and it's the biggest one in the country. Um, and but Magic Johnson, by the way, Alan is my co-speaker. Um, you guys might have heard of him; he's kind of a cool guy. Um, but it's to real real estate developers, commercial, and real estate agents. Um, and my my topic is disrupting the future of real estate. So I mean, I'm gonna have to learn this stuff. This is like, I don't know. I mean, it's it's I love it. Me too. Adam, thank you so much for this. It's been interesting. You know, I, like I said, I'm one of the guys that's interested in what's in the ground and uh, what it does down there, having built three houses on my own. And it'll be interesting to see exactly where we go, you know, moving forward with, with cities and communities and development. Well, I'm going to read about it, Don Alan. Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep reading I, articles about problems in the city with water and you know what I mean? I am now because now I get it. I didn't get it before with this call. This, this but I, I get it. I get it more now because, you know, how many times have you been, you know, your your, your commute, your drive has been messed up by a water main. Oh, break. yeah. And what oh, do we do, guys? Yeah. We don't think anything of it. No. We just, think, just fix we it just, move on. Alan, you said it. It's in the ground. They'll take care of it. We don't think about it. Um, and we should. We should. C- particularly because now we're so supposed to be environmentally conscientious so again adam thanks a lot and uh good luck with the uh with the company and uh, good luck with the line thank you <laughs> thank you appreciate it guys and that's it for episode number 60 appreciation to adam tank of transcend for shedding some light on the future of planning and executing vital infrastructure projects if you have any questions or comments send them to feedback at the and make sure you check out the website the the Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time. Smart City.